Well, hey, good morning, church. Um, if you have your Bibles, uh, if you haven't already opened up there, go ahead and open up to 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 3 uh, for this, this morning. And so I was preparing and thinking about not only really today, but also um, really next semester as we go into uh, a new year, and not only a new year, but a, a new decade, which is kind of kind of crazy to think about. Um, but think about as, as families and as parents, uh, what can I be encouraging you with or spurring you on as you disciple uh, your kids? And, and the idea of an image, not just a specific image, but the, an image in general kept surfacing within my, my soul. Um, and we see this, this image all the way from the very beginning when God creates um, the world. We see him creating. We see him summoning uh, something from, from nothing. And we see him speaking uh, light into the darkness. And it says in God's word that when he created humanity, uh, that it was not only good, but it was, it was very good. And he created us in his image. And so kids, if you got your guide there in front of you on the back of that, uh, our first point this morning is that we are made to reflect God's image. We're made to reflect his creativity. We're made to reflect his community. We're, we're, we're created to, uh, to reflect his, his goodness and his kindness and his gentleness. This is, the, as image bearers, we're called to, to reflect his, his, his image. Because all throughout of creation, we see God's image and his thumbprint on creation. As, he, as we see sunsets, as we see beauty in art, as we uh, see just uh, the animals that we take the trip to to go see the zoo, we see his creativity, we see lions, tigers, and bears, like truly, oh my, for all his creation and what he has done and what he has created. But us being first, as, as a family, it was first the family in Genesis 1. It was first Adam and Eve, God went and said, I'm going to choose you to reflect my image and to fill the earth. Before Israel, before even the church, God went to the family, to the home, to reflect his image. But we know in Genesis 3, we buy into a different image. We buy into the lie of the enemy, and we see this image now distorted. We see kings come into power, and we see them not reflect God's image or point to God. We see them actually point to themselves. That's why God commands in Exodus 20, don't make a graven image, because in this image is where your heart will be captured, and you'll be tempted to worship these images. This is why King Nebuchadnezzar, or if you watch Veggie Tales, Rack Shack and Benny created this, this, this chocolate bunny for all, at the sound of the, the harp and the lyre and the trumpet that, that all would bow down and worship, not just a chocolate bunny, but actually in the Bible, King Nebuchadnezzar made an, a, a, a huge statue of himself and all would bow down and worship this image because that's what kings do. Those that are in authority, they put their image on a coin, and they multiply their image throughout their kingdom. And speaking of kingdom, um, there's a movie called Frozen. I don't know if, have y'all heard about this? There's a second one that just, just came out. I, I personally haven't seen it, but I, I have seen uh, the, the first one uh, that was made in 2013, uh, which I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about Frozen. So if you haven't seen Frozen 1, just spoiler alert, I'm going to reveal some things. But if you haven't seen it six years later, I don't know what to do. I don't know, I don't know what to tell you. So that's why I chose, chose this one. So in Frozen, you'll notice that like when, when, when Elsa gets her powers and she can't contain herself and she starts freezing 
freezing the place. She starts freezing town. There's chaos that breaks out. I mean, people are going crazy. And, and, and she, what she does is, is she runs out of town because if she were to stay in the town, if she were to stay there in Arendelle, she would know that the, that the city would literally be destroyed. And so people are yelling at her, and, and she runs out. She runs on this lake, which is a really cool scene. As she's running, she's actually walking on water. All right, Jesus did that first. But Elsa out there is on the water, running away from town because she's about to destroy the place. And then we have this song. It's called Let It Go, and you're welcome. That's going to be stuck in your head for the rest of the week because it's been stuck in my head. But as she's singing this song, she is singing this, that she's in a kingdom of isolation, and it looks like I'm the queen. She says, don't let them in. Don't let them see. Be the good girl you always have to be. Conceal. Don't feel. Don't let them know. Well, now they know. Let it go. Let it go. Can't hold it back anymore. Let it go. I'm not going to sing it for you this morning because uh, that, that would be awful. I had a little tune there. I was tempted to, but I just, I'm going to tamper that down a little bit so that doesn't get out. I don't want to hurt your ears. But she goes to this, she comes to this kingdom of isolation because this is what happens. Like when we, when we are left to our brokenness, this is our natural instinct is to run and to isolate ourselves, to erect our own kingdom and I actually have a picture of this kingdom. Yeah, it's actually right there behind me. That when you look at this kingdom, you knew Elsa reigned there. This was, this was her, her image. And as this image, you, you, you would see even her own sister would one day actually try to go rescue her sister. But yet because she had so many walls built up, she wouldn't let even her own sister in. And so she rejects the good news there's actually another image that I saw as I was watching this this past week. This is my sermon prep, by the way. Uh, was this image right here as she's sitting alone in isolation of these thorns. Actually, when she would freeze things, it, there's, there's this image of um, these sharp icicles that actually could do like some serious damage. And if we were see this through the gospel, so parents, as you watch movies with your kids, think through the gospel, think through the word. And as I saw this picture, I was reminded in Genesis chapter 3 when, when chaos entered the picture that there was thorns and thistles that would be for the rest of our days. Because left to ourselves, we retreat, we isolate, we hide, we make our own kingdom to make much of ourselves. But there's a better king who came and there's a better image where we're, our image, where we distorted it, where we're unable to reflect it. Our greater image in King Jesus perfectly reflects God's image. And you'll notice at the end of the movie, the, the gospel is on display when, 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 when like, there's like sadness, when, when, when actually Anna was frozen, when she steps in on behalf of her sister to absorb the curse She's absorbing the frozenness. She's absorbing the ice on behalf of her sister. And in that moment, there's tragedy. There's like this moment of, I don't know what's about to happen. How is this movie going to end? And all of a sudden, she starts melting. And then there's this quote that says, An act of true love, putting someone else's needs above your own, will actually melt a frozen heart. 
Because in order for our frozen hearts to melt, church, we need a substitute. We need someone to step in our place and die for us. Because that's what love does. It sacrifices. Steps in our place where we deserve to die and dies the death that we deserve and raises to life so that we could experience life. So our hearts could be melted from the frozenness of the ice cold of our sin so that we could have hearts that beat and yearn for King Jesus. Y'all with me? So like this is a new kingdom. This is the, the curse has been lifted because of Jesus. He is our better image. But as we see in our own kingdom of isolation, we see image drive our day. You see this in our performance. You see this in our, our drive for success. This is why people get buried in their work and neglect their family because it's easier to uphold an image outside the home. You can't hide in, in, inside your house, but out there it's much easier to uphold an image. And so we chase and, and we exhaust ourselves. And we see this in our fashion. We see this in the clothes that we wear or the lack of clothes that we wear. We we see this in our billboards. We see this in our, our ads. That images are always constantly before us. We see this in our dieting. We see this in our keto push. We see this in our Atkins push. Or whatever it's going to be the next season that we're going to encounter. There's going to be some type of push to better your image. And lastly, we see this in social media. Don't we? I mean, this is low-hanging fruit. I get it. But in our social media, we are constantly inundated by images and scrolling. I mean, there's like an, actually an app called Instagram. I'm not sure if you've heard about it or not, but all the app is, all it is is images. And it's filtered images of this, this glamour, glamorous, golden reality that is fake. And we're buying into it. You'll notice if you talk to a, to a photographer, if you're ever going to get your picture taken, they call it the golden hour. Because only within that hour you're able to capture the perfect picture. And I don't know about you guys, but I, I can't stand to get my picture taken. And so it's not in a golden hour. It's like maybe a golden minute because I got to check my attitude before I walk in there. But for that moment in that picture, there's this, this golden moment of this is what our family looks like. But they don't know the attitude and the, and the journey that it took to get there to take that picture. But it's those pictures that we are inundated with and that we see. And then we begin to compare ourselves to these false images. And, and church, when we compare ourselves, when comparison hits the heart, it robs our joy and our sight of beholding King Jesus. Y'all with me? There's images that we are saturated with. So I have a challenge for you, parents, maybe, maybe for yourself and also for your kids. There's actually a report that you can run on your phone. And I would, I would encourage us to look at like, the amount of time that we spend on our phones. The amount of times that we spend in certain apps. Because where our time is spent is what we worship. Because what you love is what you become. And so our, our title this morning, I know I already threw the first point out there, but our title of this morning is, is Unfiltered. That we ourselves would take the filter off and, and, and be honest with where we're at to see our, our better image in Jesus. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, 17. Look with me in your Bibles. It says, now the Lord is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Isn't that good news? And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. 
Isn't that good news that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So in our, in our fight against addiction, in our fight against image, in our fight against uh, our social media accounts, in our, in our fight against time, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's not bondage, but there is, there is freedom. There's freedom in our parenting where the spirit of the Lord is. There's, there's freedom students and kids in, in, in your school and you're, and you're relating because where the spirit of the Lord is, you're not at the mercy of what people think or what people are thinking about you or what your coach thinks about you, what your teacher thinks about you. Because what God thinks about you and where the spirit of the Lord is, now that he's resided in you, there is, there is freedom. And Paul says, and we all, and we all with unveiled face are beholding the glory of the Lord. This is a corporate endeavor, church. This, this is a, 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 a family of families coming together, which is just a great picture of us, for us this morning. As so we see families, as we see students, as we see a dad and daughter and leading us into our liturgy, we see this, this picture of families that God is calling together to behold the glory of Jesus. So whether you're married or single, whether you're old or young or divorced or widowed, whether you're an empty nester or you got a nest that is full in your house, wherever we're at this morning, our call is, is, is in the we all. It's in the we all. Let us together partner with parents in discipling their kids. One of the things I, I, when I talk with parents, um, one of the things you'll hear often when we communicate from upstage is that parents are the primary faith trainers of their child. And that's absolutely true. That's from Deuteronomy chapter 6. That's what we stand for. But I had a parent come up to me one Sunday and she goes, you know, Aaron, I, I hear you in, in saying that the parents are the primary faith trainers. Like, I understand. I get that call. But we're not the only ones. We're not the only disciplers. That it takes a tribe church. It takes a village to come alongside our families to, in hopes that the Spirit would get a hold of our kids' hearts. It takes voices, not just from parents, from, but from mentors speaking the truth and inviting our kids to follow Jesus in all of life. It takes all of us. It's, it's, in, the, it's in the we all. And as we all come together and we behold him, the Bible says that we are transformed. Or the Greek word is metamorpho. We are, like we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. Like from one, one degree. And that word meta, meta, metamorpho, I couldn't help but think of my childhood. There was a show called The, the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. <laughs> if you all heard about this or not. I know there's like a lot of Power Ranger shows now. I know, I know that like all the kids have, I, don't, I can't even keep track of how many Power Rangers there are. But my nephew, uh, he's about three or four, uh, just got a blue sword for Christmas, or sorry, for his, for his birthday. Uh, and I've been like honestly nerding out about it. And so when he sets that thing down, I'm checking it out myself. Just like, oh man, this is the coolest thing ever. But it's not as cool as when I was a kid. These, these are the guys that, like, that I was in tune with, that I was watching. That Red Ranger right there, Jason, he's my hero. And they're in Power Rangers you notice that like in, in a moment they could come together and, and they would be morphed into the ranger. Like in a, in, a, in a moment, they'd be all hanging out at school, in high school, because that's what high schoolers do. They, they, that's where all the shows, they would actually go fight crime on the side and study during the day, but they would be in school. And then in a moment they could say, all right, it's morphing time. And they would come together and in an instant they would be morphed into this right here. This crazy goodness we're about to be unleashed and do some work on some people, right? these rangers. But y'all, in the Christian life, it's not, it's not an instant. 
It's not a moment. The only one who instantaneously was able to transform was Jesus. And we see this on, in, in Matthew chapter 17. He's on the, on the mount of what we call transfiguration when he flexes in, with, with his disciples and says, hey y'all, this is what's coming. Behold my glory. And as you behold my glory on this mountain, we got to get off this mountain and take my glory into the world. He's the only one that was able to instantaneously sit, reflect, and, and be in this glorified state. But for us, now that we have a relationship with Jesus, and now that we know him, the Bible says we are transformed by one degree of glory to another. Which takes time. It's one degree. It's a slow process. This isn't a movie. This is like season after season after season. This isn't a sprint, but this is a marathon that the Christian life invites us into. And parents, let me say something to you. If we forget the process, if we forget the process, process of one degree of glory to another, then we'll look at our kids where we think they should be and not parent them where they are. And when, we, when our expectations are not met or our dreams are not fulfilled that we have for them, we will parent out of frustration rather than freedom. And we will miss what the Spirit has for us and for them. We're all on a journey. We're all in process. And some are slower than others. But let me encourage you this morning. But no matter where we are at, God is working even when we don't see it. So we don't fight with our kids. We fight for our kids and beg for the Spirit to get a hold of their little hearts. And we throw seeds of the truth. We see, we, we, we see this parable Jesus tells of, of this parable of the sower who throws seed. I just, when I read that, I think about parenting. That we're constantly throwing truths before our kids in hopes that it will land amongst good soil. And parents, you can't create that good soil. That's why Paul says this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Spirit's got to be doing a work. He's got to be tilling up the ground. And it's our job to speak gospel truths to where our kids are at. To be coaching them, to be standing before them, to be inviting them into maturity, absolutely. But as a coach, any good coach comes, comes down from where he is in coaching and comes alongside and says, hey, this is how life is done. Isn't that what Jesus did with us? In the incarnation, he could easily continue to speak from above. But God put on flesh and what did he do? He, he dwelt among us. He walked among us. And yet he spoke life into his disciples and invited them into this process. We're all in process. We're all called to invite our kids into a, the song of the gospel and use our voice to proclaim his truth, to behold Jesus. Paul continues on in chapter 4 verse 1. He says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Parents, I have more encouragement for you. You may be coming in this morning depleted. You may be coming in this morning down. You may be coming in this morning a bit depressed. But the good news is that our spirit and our God is at work. And God's mercy is available to you. That's why Paul says, therefore, we don't have to lose heart. That this, this parenting journey, it, it's, it's actually shaping us into more of the image of Jesus. That's why Paul says it's by his mercy he's giving us, given us this, this ministry. It's actually shaping us into this image so that we can find our true joy. And if we don't receive God's mercy for ourselves, then we'll be consistently frustrated with our kids. 
Maybe because we're frustrated with ourselves and we take out that frustration on them. And when this happens, we parent out of shame and not out of the spirit. As I shared already, 2020 is coming around the corner. There's a new decade happening. Inside me, there's been this, um, I don't know, this, this sense of I should be further along in my journey than where I'm at. I feel I have this when, y'all, when the new year hits, but it's like, Lord, am I still wrestling with things I've been wrestling with for years? Like, is there a graduation date to this? Am I going to put on, a, put on a cap and gown and, and play this song and, and graduate from this struggle, from this fear, from this wrestle with the approval of people and from, from my pride and my anger? Is, this, is, this, is there ever an end date to this? And in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the new years, I've had to remind myself and just bathe in God's mercy because it's in God's mercy is where we find freedom. That Jesus has dealt with, the enemy has been disarmed, our sin has been cast as far as the east is from the, the west, and yet we are in process, but also we have been made holy. We are loved. Church, we are forgiven. It is in his mercy we have peace. It is in his mercy we are chosen. In his mercy we are protected. In his mercy we are safe. In his mercy we have strength. I know we're tired this morning. And I I know we're weak in a sense in, in raising our kids. But it's in the midst of weakness God's power is perfected. Where his, that's where his strength is found. It's in his mercy we belong to him and his family forever. Parents, if you don't receive this mercy first for yourself, then you will burn out doing for Jesus without being with him. Because we've been given mercy, so we extend this mercy to our kids. But we got to go to the source. That's why Paul continues to write, but we have renounced disgraceful underhanded ways, according to verse 2. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Paul writes, he said, I'm not being deceptive. I'm not manipulating in my ministry. I'm boldly proclaiming the truth and the, the, boldly proclaiming the word plainly for people to see. Parents, are, are you opening up the scriptures with your child? Because if we're not opening up the scriptures with our children, how would we open them up to, to apply the gospel to their life? But we open up the scriptures because it's in the scriptures that's where God speaks. And that's where we're able to go beneath the surface. Notice Paul writes and says, hey, I, I, I'm doing these things. I'm, I, I'm, I'm telling the truth plainly. And I'm appealing to everyone's conscience. He didn't say behavior. I'm appealing to everyone's conscience. Because as parents, we, we must go beyond the surface, beyond outward, beyond action, beyond behavior. And go beneath the surface to the heart. Because if we just parent out of behavior, out of do's and don'ts, then we'll create Pharisees that are actually inwardly dead towards Jesus and his truth. But Paul says that, no, I got to appeal to their conscience. I got to go beneath the surface and I got I to get to their heart. Parents, don't let your goal be to raise good kids. Because good kids become 
good deceivers and good manipulators. Let our goal be to raise godly kids who are honest and long to have their heart changed by Jesus because parents, you've trained them to connect their behavior to their heart in spoken heart language, not just behavior language. In inviting Jesus, our great surgeon, to do a work in them. Which leads to our third point, and it's this, is that Jesus, he's the only one able to give us eyes to see him and hearts to trust him. Paul writes that apart from Jesus, that we're all blind. Like this is our fallen condition. We're unable to see the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Jesus is our better image. He is the exact imprint of God's nature, but by nature, we're un- we can't see it. Like, you, you don't have to convince a blind person he's blind. If you see a blind person in, like out in the road and you start to talk with him and say, hey man, do you not know that like, you're blind? You know the one the sticks that, they, that they, they walk with? Like, if you said that and rolled up on a blind person, they'd probably take that stick and beat you with it, probably, if you said that to him. Like, no joke. Of course, of course I'm blind. Of course I can't see. I'm dependent. I'm, I'm, I'm in need. But spiritual blindness is the exact opposite. Spiritual blindness actually fuels pride. Spiritual blindness thinks that we can actually see. Spiritual blindness actually thinks that we're actually oh, that we're actually okay. But how do we invite our kids and how do we ourselves are able to take off the blinders and see Jesus for who he is? As we point them to the one who gives sight to the blind. He lit, Jesus walked this earth. We see him healing the blind. We see him giving sight. And in the same way, we go to Jesus in dependence and trusting that he would give our kids in a sight to see him. That's why Paul says in verse 5, I don't proclaim on myself or ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So parents, we don't lift ourselves up. We're not the savior of our kids. This is why we can be freed up to ad- actually admit our weaknesses and our failures. Like kids, look at me. Students, look at me. Like, did you know that like this is your parents' first time actually doing this? This is the first time that I've actually raised kids. This is the first time they've, they've entered into this season. Like you didn't come with a manual. I know like we expect that because we see that in our society. We want to build something. We just give them a manual and we just do it. There was a lot of that this Christmas season, putting things together. I was thinking about that, how easy that is in comparison to, to raising a child because there's wisdom in it. There's, there's discernment in it. Everything's not black and white, but there's this, this gospel and this wisdom that we cling on to so that we can invite our, our, our kids. And so, like, maybe catch your, like, give your parents some slack, like, as, as they're raising you. There's some, some grace there that we, we both come to and we both meet in the middle on as we give grace to one another, as we actually ask for forgiveness. Parents, there's no greater model for you to model out the gospel is when you say, hey, I'm sorry. I failed you. And even those words saying that right now out of my mouth, like failure is not an option. That's why I grew up. Like no way, I cannot fail. But if we parent out of this and we live out of, out of this expectation that we're putting on ourselves that we're not gonna fail, we're gonna be in bondage and we're gonna be exhausted And it's going to lead to depression and a lot of darkness. But Jesus never failed. That's why he is our better image. That's why we direct our kids not to how awesome we are, 
but to how awesome Jesus is. And let's journey together. Parents, let this, goal, let this be your goal this 2020 year. But Paul says, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Not I have it all together. I've been on the mountaintop. I've been hanging out with the Lord. I've come down the mountain to have all the answers. Parenting is, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. Let me repent and believe with me as I believe in Jesus. Come alongside me. Come with, come with me from one degree of glory to another. That's discipleship. Inviting our kids into the light. Admitting our failure. Admitting our weakness so we can boast about the strength of Jesus. In verse 6, Paul continues on. Are y'all still with me? Verse 6 says this, Paul writes, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We began with Genesis. We're coming to a close in Genesis. That just as God spoke light into the darkness, in the same way God speaks light into our dark hearts. And gives us knowledge to behold the face of Jesus. There's something intimate about speaking to someone face to face. Sitting down with them. Not only like speaking to them, but actually eating. There's this intimacy that goes on. There's, a, there's some eye contact. Kids and students, I know this is a crazy thought. But there's like you actually look people in the eye when you talk to them. And you, you ask them how they're doing. You ask questions. You engage. There's this relational nature when we actually engage each other in the face. And I've been thinking about like we see in scripture. We see God revealing his face. We see him in, in this journey of drawing closer and closer to his, his people and revealing himself. And just as Jesus gave his all, parents, I encourage you to give your all, to give your face and not a screen. Because it says in Exodus chapter 33, Moses writes, thus the, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. As I was looking up this verse, I was in my living room on my computer getting ready for it this morning. And uh, as I'm looking, like, oh man, that's powerful. Like, like, just to be present, fully present with somebody. Not busy, like hurried kind of being present, but fully present, giving somebody, like, my face, my, my presence. And I began, I was remembering that, that the Lord God would speak to Moses face to face. And then my little one comes up to me. And he's wanting my attention. I'm behind the screen. So I'm not just talking to y'all. I'm, I'm talking to myself this past week. As I, 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 I could easily t lean towards a screen. I, I don't want my child to think that the screen is more important to, to him. To having a conversation with him that he can't really have. But we do. He has his own language. I have the English language. He's a, a year and a half. So he doesn't have many words besides mama and food. That's about it. Uh, and so we have, we have this dialogue because I want my child to know that his father's presence is available to him. So parents, as we enter into 2020, would you offer your presence? Would you fully be there to see what the Lord is doing? Because our God voluntarily stepped into our world and offered all of himself for us to see and savor him above all things. So will you carve out time this week, this year, to behold the face of Jesus in his word? Because Paul doesn't tamper with it. He calls us not to tamper with it or to, to use this for our gain. But he says to open up God's word. And in his, in his word we find mercy to behold the face of Jesus. That we find our comfort in him. 
And we'd, we, we would find that desire for a better image in the one who actually is the better image. And so, actually in this semester for our time, like, we're, we're talking about this theme unfiltered. I, I, I began to be, think about next semester and how we could be having some training or some, some, some talking points. On January the 15th, uh, we're going to be meeting down the road and we're gonna, uh, I'm going to be inviting us into what it looks like to, to do this. We can talk about it from up, up front and talk about it on stage, but to actually have some real life examples of what does it actually look like to open up God's word, to behold the face of Jesus. What, what are some struggles that we have? What are some things that we can be working for? What are some obstacles that we can prepare for? That's happened on January the 15th. And then also on February uh, the 22nd, on a Saturday morning, we're going to invite the whole community uh, out to come alongside and train parents on technology, train parents on images. And so this isn't just a Grove thing. This is actually happening at our one weekend event where we're working with other churches and we, we're using that Saturday morning to empower parents. And so if, if there's anything this morning, it's like, yeah, that was kind of, we could go a little bit deeper. Like we could go talk about that in more detail. That's coming all right, later on in this semester because parents look at me. We want to see you win. We, we want to we see you succeed. And what success looks like is throwing the word, is tossing the seed in hopes that God will do a work and toil that ground. That's why we have a resource table in the back. That's why we have books that we discount for you to purchase. That's why we do, do devotionals. That's why you're probably annoyed of me of blowing up your phone and saying, hey, here's where we're at this week. I just want to remind you, hey, don't forget to invite your kids into the truth. But we're doing that because we want to see you win. You're the A team. We're the B team. We're here to support you, come alongside you, and training our kids up to love Jesus. Not just good kids, but godly kids who love Jesus. We're made to reflect God's image. Transforming into Jesus' image, it takes time. And lastly, Jesus is the only one able to give us eyes to see him and hearts to trust him. So parents, can I pray for you in this endeavor? of training up our kids, inviting them to behold Jesus. And as I prayed, I'm going to ask the, the students if they would come and lead us into our closing song. Let me pray. God, we, we see in your word that apart from you, we're blind. That we're unable to see you. We're unable to see your truth. We're unable to comprehend. And so God, we need you. As we make disciples in our home, as we prioritize the, the call that you've put in our lives to invite our kids to follow you. We need you to do a work. We're called to open up the truth. We're called to invite them into the more and the better image of you. But God, we need your help. We need you to work. Some of our kids don't get it. Some of our kids in our home are, are spiritually blind. What? And God, I pray that you would strengthen parents. I pray that you would encourage parents to be persistent with your gospel that doesn't make much of ourselves or lift ourselves up as, as we are the Savior, but point to you as, as we invite our kids to, to follow you, as, as we follow Jesus, that we invite our kids to follow you as well. But we need you desperately. Because you're the only one who gives sight to the blind. You're our better image. Thank you for coming. Thank you for dwelling, not only among us, but in us.